Welcome to the Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to the Drummer's Pathway podcast. This episode features my conversation with drummer Dave Stark. Born and raised in New York and now residing in Florida, Dave is an in-demand freelance drummer, educator, and clinician. He began playing drums at the age of seven, then went on to study with legendary teachers such as Dom Famliero, Jim Chapin, Gary Chafee, and many more. After attending Berklee College of Music in Boston on a scholarship, Dave established his career back in New York, where he became a first-call session artist. He also began a very successful teaching career and has built a worldwide reputation as a highly sought-after educator. Currently, Dave is the president of the Florida chapter of the Percussive Arts Society and also serves internationally as a board member on their education committee. In our conversation, We talk about how the most profound lessons learned from a mentor are the life lessons and experiences shared. We also discuss the importance of building genuine relationships and how we each can define success in this industry. And now, my conversation with Dave Stark. You were originally born and raised in New York, where you began your pursuit of this passion of drumming at a really early age. I believe you started out on guitar when you were five, but eventually made the switch and began formal lessons with drum set when you were seven. Can you talk a little bit about where that passion came in and what sort of started this journey? Sure. Um, So when I was really young, and I'm not even going to try to put an age on it, but music was like magic to me. You know, like people have different things that they that they hear or experience as a as a very young child, and music. So I I would go. My dad had a like a hi fi system that I learned how to use very early, and I would go put on music or just it could have been New York radio, AM radio, like NEW or some records. And I, I had two older brothers. And my eldest brother um, had a lot of Beatles and Led Zeppelin and stuff, so I was listening to that. And then, believe it or not, I remember like watching shows like The Partridge Family and The Monkees, and 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 I just knew, like, like I got connected with it, and I wanted to do that. And at first, I wanted to play guitar. So, um, at the age of five, my grandparents <clears throat> bought me, I believe, for for my birthday, a an acoustic guitar, but it was full size. Okay, so here's a little little day. This full size acoustic guitar, and immediately my parents signed me up for lessons at a little music store um, in the town out of Long Island where I grew up. And I understood it, but I couldn't do it. Like my hands did not work the way they were supposed to work. So you know, playing scale like these little songs on one string at a time, and like I just I, I couldn't do it. But the the cool thing about that experience when I look back is. I learned to read music. So around the time when I was starting to learn how to read written, you know, uh, English, you know, um, and and reading words and sentences and stuff, well, I was learning to read music, not drum music, but music at, at that time. Um, at, also during then, we had some cousins that lived um, in New Jersey, and it was a big family, like six or seven kids, and 
they were like their own little version of the Partridge family. They had a basement full of instruments. My cousin Lee played guitar. Bobby, I believe, played the drums. So there was drums down there. So we would go there, and we, you know, and and we went there quite often, maybe once a month. And I would go straight downstairs to that basement and just sit at those drums and pick up the sticks. And no music or anything, but I kind of naturally figure out how to play a beat. Like I, I kept thinking of songs. I don't remember what what exactly song. And I kind of figured out like how to start playing eighth notes on the ride cymbal and two and four and just just playing beats to songs that I kind of heard. Um, so my parents knew I was doing that. Um, and then after still struggling with the guitar, I kind of asked for drum lessons and. Um, switch over the drums. I started one little snare drum, a pad, and one of those old school, they don't make them anymore. The, the little symbol that's made out of stamp metal or something yeah. that comes off, like, like an eight inch little symbol. And that's how I started out. And I would beat the heck out of that thing playing along with John Bonham, you know. Um, so, um, but that, that, that was my path. That's how it all started. But that, you know, again, looking back, there was something inside of me that had to come out and, 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 and I probably would have kept trying different things until, you know, until I got to drums because it just made sense to me. Well, I know for me, what originally attracted me to drums was it was the only instrument that I could make out from the music that I heard. So I would right. hear I'd hear music <clears throat> on the stereo or on the radio and Good I could one. hear I could hear the whole big picture but i was not able to isolate what was the guitar or what was the piano i just at that point i just hadn't developed my ear to that so i gravitated sure. more towards the drums because i could relate to that and i love the idea for me of the drums being an accompanist instrument right. so i could be an important part of the big picture of the music and to me that's really what intrigued me i didn't really always want to be out front i just kind of mm -hmm. wanted to be part of it so we all sometimes come from a similar place of which we start but sure. we often end up going our own little journeys and our own little paths and that's why it's always interesting to kind of get a bit of the backstory and find out where it, um where this passion came from yeah i, I mean it, you know that that's a good point and it's something that i've heard before uh, you know and it just came up at the past nam show when the sessions panel was doing stuff and they had um you know danny Cochburn, lee sklarland and, and stuff like that up on the panel i think it was danny who said they were talking about like playing a song, You've Got a Friend, James Taylor and Carol King, and, and how they would look out in the audience when they finally, finally went out and did shows and everybody would be crying. And he realized everybody might be crying for a different reason. And it made me think of, of something that, a conversation that I had 20, 30, probably 30 years ago, where someone said, you know, not everyone hears music the way you do like you're focused on we're all listening to the same song we can all five different musicians right here okay we're just talking about musicians not even like and we're all hearing that same song but we're all hearing it differently and i truly believe that's 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 the truth like we're gonna zone in on on those grooves or that hi-hat pattern or that kick drum or you know um and for me it's always bass parts too so one of the things that's common for many people when they're listening to music is to gravitate towards the words. And one of the things that I always found is I would gravitate towards the rhythm of the words. And that's what I would connect with. But after, and I could, you know, sing along with the song that is going on. But afterwards, sure. I couldn't tell you what the line was because I, 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 I relate. I can relate. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't connect 
to that message. And it wasn't until later on, as I sort of matured as a player, that the words and the meaning of the music started to become much more important to me. But I found mm -hmm. that that personal reflection in terms of how I interact with the rhythm and how those and how that rhythm affects me has really added a good element to my own personal style. So something that's really sort of stuck with me. But people will sometimes laugh at me because there's songs I've played for a long time that I couldn't tell you what the words are. I play with bands <laughs> and I've done it, I mean, I'm not even just currently, for, for years and I have no idea. But that, there are other songs, there's some like singer-songwriter now that's written some profound stuff that I listen to, or, or Sting I seem to be, a, like I, I just like his poetry, his words, and I'll, and I'll latch on to them. But the majority of tunes, I, like if you looked at stuff that I'm playing and say it's some Stevie Winwood song, I have no idea. I saw it, of him singing Higher Love. I don't know the rest of the words of that song at all, and I've played it a thousand times. So, you know. But at the same time, we're respecting the music and respecting the art form, so we're still oh. taking a professional approach to the things that we do. Sure. One of, one of the things that um, I learned. In, in New York City, I remember, it was how not to just throw in a crash symbol, you know, and, and thinking about it from a, a vocalist point of view and how, uh, you know, be it fills, crashes, stuff like that, to think of it as punctuation. So it could be a comma, it could be a period, it could be an exclamation point, it could be like, but it should be like, you know, in a vocal situation, you know, use more like a punctuation to what they're doing, not what we want to do. And, and that was a really different way for me to start interacting with different songwriters or people that were wanting me to record tracks or just playing their original projects. For me, one of the most profound lessons I ever got along that lines was attending a concert in Toronto years ago with Paul Simon and mm -hmm. Steve Gadd was touring with him as the as the drummer. And I'm a huge Steve Gadd fanatic, as many of us are in the industry. Sure. And I would be watching him on stage and I'd watch all the other musicians. And as I'm kind of like tapping along in my seat, enjoying the groove and enjoying the music, I'd be you know, hitting, you know, hitting the crash symbols where I think the crash symbols would go because you feel like there's a certain place that you always have to put these parts. And I'm right. watching Steve Gadd play and he's not doing that. And then I would go to the next section and I'd do a little fill and he's not. Right. And when he does, it's perfect and it's beautiful and it just serves that that point and so it right. made me really start to analyze particularly in studio situations how i approach music and i will often sometimes write out on a chart just the form and i might write out where i'm going to hit the crash symbols just to keep mm -hmm. me from hitting crash symbols in all the places that I think I normally would want to yeah. do that. And for me, that's been a really sort of profound lesson just to really learn how to just keep those specific moments. Yep. And, and, and you know, in, in that same thing, when I first started doing some sessions of recording, and I had somewhere, you know, it was a vocal tune, but when we were going in and cutting some tracks or even scratch tracks and there was no vocals, and I would just say, can I have scratch vocals? Because I really needed to pay attention to the lyrical phrasing. And, and I like that melody kind of running through my head as well. So, but, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different approach when you're 
a kid and you're learning songs and you're just copycatting somebody else and you're doing their part as to when somebody presents you something and, okay, do your thing, you know, on original music. And as a teacher, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that I used to have students that would always come in because they fell in love with music and now they wanted to play the drums. Right. Now... They fell in love with the drums and they want to play the drums and you almost have to teach them that they have to now fall in love with music sure. but the whole sort of industry has changed and people are gravitating more towards the the social media aspect of drumming being kind of like a solo showcase thing like there's some validity to that but yeah. i find now that it's actually interesting looking at my students going they they don't know what music they love they don't know what songs they want to learn and so i now have to teach them music whereas right. before i have to sort of teach them the drum set sure uh, that that was eye-opening when i first started teaching I, I would say now maybe because i've been doing it so long and i don't have like any really little kids i've got teens and you know then older but i remember when i first started teaching so long island drum set and i would get a student and just chit chats kind of see where they're at and i go who's your favorite drummer I like, didn't know any drummers. And, and then I'd be like, and, and I'm not talking like a six-year-old, so I'm talking yeah. like a 12-year-old, and I'm like, do you have a favorite band? Or, or not? Well, I like this song, or I like this song, or I like, you know, and maybe, you know, it was, you know, just a completely different universe as to why they want to do, you know, and, and it's hard when this is like your passion, like you, you know, like I said at the beginning of this thing, like, like I discovered magic as a little kid, and and it's still always magic, and and you get those students that this is magic, and music is part of that, and then you get students that want to play drums or they want to play piano, guitar, and they don't necessarily have the same reason why they got into it, and it's hard to relate at the beginning because maybe. Monday's drum lessons, Tuesday's soccer, you know, Wednesday's Little League Baseball, and then they have chess club, and you know, and they have all these different activities, and nobody ever had to tell me to practice, and I wasn't going to be a strict one, like, like, it's not my job to tell you to practice, but I just knew when people weren't doing it, and like I said, I, I kind of had to shift gears, you know, and and then you, you have the students come in who are doing it for the exact same reason we are. You know, um, it's something I I sometimes hear people disgruntled, you know, on, on social media. I'll see comments on maybe a Facebook group. And so we're like, ah, the kids today, they don't, you know, they're diff different. And sure, there are the social media drummers and the drummers that want to be social media drummers and they just want to be drum soloists. But there are plenty of kids who just fall in love with music and they kind of, you know, do this on... on for, for the same passion, you know, uh, they, they, they want to be musicians, not mm -hmm. drum soloists, you know, so. And sometimes as you started out on guitar and eventually moved to drums, sometimes they have to start out on drums to find out that their passion is maybe they want to be a vocalist or maybe sure. it's really the guitar that they want to learn. So, right. so I find now rather than always focusing on strictly just being a drum teacher, I'm there to teach them music and instill a passion and help them find something that, that they want to focus on. And right. And not everyone's always has the same goals. Sometimes it's just they want to play with their friends. Sometimes they just want to play music 
at home for fun. Sometimes they want to be in a band. Maybe they're learning for for school. And so I've learned now as a teacher to have to kind of adapt to really help them find the passion in whatever path they're choosing to follow. Yeah, there are two two aspects of that that I see. One is I've got some other students who are maybe a little bit older and they're like songwriters and they want to understand every instrument. So I do get students from time to time who don't ever really want to do this as, as, as their first choice, but they want to understand how to interact with a drummer, how to create drum parts, and they, 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 they're multi-instrumentalists, you know, multi so they, they can do that. Um, and, and the other thing I encourage all my students, you know, is get in a band, get in a band. And, and, and I even have like one student now who started, been with me a couple of years, and she wasn't really playing with a band, got into like high school or, or middle school, I should say. Um, and now she's been playing with other musicians on a regular basis, and and she's thriving. Like like the, the noticeable difference in the, her playing, um, it's 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 like this this rocket ship took off, and she's in love with it. She just didn't have that, and I will tell parents. I don't care if it's school or rock. Like you can continue lessons with me, but the, like if you can't find musicians, then go there. They all have bands. Take drum lessons there too. You know, you know, like, like, like. But she's gonna meet, or he's gonna meet other musicians, and 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 that has to be part of this. You know, um, it's very hard. Like I said, for me to teach the the drum soloist because I never really want to be. Here's a cool lick. Yeah. You know, and then they master it, and then literally hours later, they're on Instagram playing that lick, yeah. you know, and getting 8,000 times more views than I'll ever get because that's kind of why they're doing this. But I, I, I don't, I don't have too many of those and I, I kind of, you know, send them along if I need to. Now you started as, like, as we said earlier at a really young age, but you all started with formal education at a young age. This wasn't something that you kind of just figured out on your own and then eventually got into lessons. You really started along that path. Sure. So what were some of the experiences you had studying at a young age that eventually led you along this path that took you to study at the Berkeley College of Music? Okay. Well, first I'm going to say, at that young age, I knew this is what I wanted to do in my life. There was not like it was like nothing out like 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 it's kind of weird when you've got a child and you know now we're eleven years old and you've got kids you've taught and they're like they don't want to do it or just 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 in general people don't know like the people that we know or could be married to or have friends or an ex boyfriend or girlfriend you know like like. They're like, well, maybe I want to be this, maybe I want to. So, so you know, at an early age, I'm like, I'm going to be a drummer. That's what, and and you start seeing yourself as a drummer. You know, I I asked students I was doing at NAM these kids that wanted to meet me. Their parents came out, and I, I'm like, do you see yourself as a drummer? You know, and they're like, yeah. Like so, I'm like, when you go to school, you want kind of every like, I'm I'm this girl, I'm I'm, I'm this drummer. So I, so I had that. So with my formal education. My first teacher was this guy, Joe DeStefano, um, little music store in Wontor, New York. And he was an older guy. I don't know exactly. He was an older jazz player. And I just wanted to learn to play Led Zeppelin. That was it, man. Led Zeppelin was like the thing for me. And, and I mean, I had, I had other bands I liked, but I, I want to do that. And he'd be like, the drummer from Chicago is really good. And we put on a Chicago record. And he, and he taught me. So he was the first one he taught me in, you know, traditional. But like the lessons back then, um, 
And, and, and you know, we, we have our history, and I'll get into Donald Fan and Larry and Jim Chapin, but the lesson back then was like, one lesson, this is how you hold the sticks, and then you never mention it again. And then no other teacher ever mentioned anything again. It's like, here's a fulcrum, pitch this with that, here's what we're doing with our left hand, and that's it. And here's some rudiments, and we're doing this. So I was studying with him a couple years, and, and not that I was fighting him, I was following him. It's probably pretty good that I got a little bit of jazz and blues and stuff background and was learning, you know, what the stuff he took me through and the Alfred stuff and, um, you know, more drum notation. You know, I, I got a good, looking back, I got a good foundation. So, you know, you could ask me when I was eight years old, can you play a cha-cha, can you play a mambo, can you, you know, because I didn't want to learn it, but I did learn it because it was my drum lesson assigned to me. So nothing wrong with that. But, but you know, maybe a different teacher would have taken me, just given me what I wanted and, and, and I might have suffered, you know, to learn it later. Um, but then an, an amazing thing happened when I was 10, 11 years old, I don't remember exactly, but the, the Long Island Drum Center opened up in my town, or basically a, a bicycle right away, like two miles from my house, maybe. And I went and checked it out at the grand opening, um, and I immediately switched over to lessons there. And my first teacher there was a guy by the name of Dennis McDermott. And Dennis may not be a household name among drummers. He doesn't really do the social media thing, but he was the guy who played on Walking in Memphis. Okay. Um, he played with Donald Fagan when Donald Fagan and Steely Dan first broke up, and he put together his own kind of band and like the something New York Review. He was at drummers. He was like a session player in New York too. And he 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 was only with me, or I was only with him for a couple of years because he just got so busy. He, like I think he left to go on tour with uh, David Johansson, you know, or something like that from the New York Dolls or whatever. Like, he always had a gig. He just always, he was just like, he bought back and then finally, like, he was leaving one day. And I remember he sat me down. He's like, no, you're, you're, you're going to be okay, kid. Like, you're going to. But the cool thing about him is by this point, I discovered, I think, Neil Peart, you know, right, right around there when he was leaving. So it's like John Bonham kind of morphing into Neil Peart and wanting to be like super drummer. And he would put on Doobie Brothers tunes and stuff, um, or Boss Gags, and we would just groove. He'd be like, I don't want, he'd go, I don't even want you to play Phil or Crash. Just like, you know, and he would like, I'll be walking around the room with a cowboy, you know, and just groove. So he was the first guy to ever really bring up pocket, you know, and groove. And discuss what the relationship with the bass be. He was the first person ever to be listen to the bass drum and listen to the rhythm that the bass player is playing with their right hand, or, or, or you know. And it was just like, oh, like I started learning about this relationship of how to, you know, be this musician to, to lock in. And because I was already playing with bands, you know, by that time too. It's like I started at a really young age. So I, I kept bouncing around. Then different teachers. Jerry Ricky was a guy who owned the place studied with him. Again, through none of this, nobody ever really said anything about technique. You know, so I was going through all the traditional books and 10,000 ways to do syncopation, the Jim Chapin book, Nard into Wilcox, and then just, you know, just kept studying that. When I was 12, I met Don Familaro doing anything. So the drum center had all these clinics, always got, you name it, you name the drummer, we were in New York. So you name the drummer, they had him as a clinician. And it became, this was before Dom was the famous person or clinician even that, that he was. So Dom would like open up for a clinic or he'd always be the MC. He was good at it. 
And I remember the first, my first encounter with him, him doing his magical, um, okay, everybody, he's like, okay, yeah. get down wherever <laughs> you are. Everybody move 20 feet forward. All the kids, you come up here. And I remember him pointing to me, he's like, you right here. And I think it was Billy Cobb and or something. And, and I'm right there, like sitting right up there, like, 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 you know, and, and I remember talking to him afterwards. And so I don't always see him around the drum center, but finally at the age of 16, getting passed around with a couple different teachers, you know, at also at the Long Island Trump Center, they were finally like, okay, you got to go see Dom, you know, and, and at this point, I kind of knew I wanted to go to Berkeley, and um, that, that was already, like, my path that I saw going forward. So I went into my first lesson with Dom, and it's obviously, like anyone knows, it's unlike anything you ever experienced. So my first lesson, for those of you listening who never had this experience, to have a one-on-one -on -one sitting in the room with Dom, here's 16-year-old Dave Starr, and he starts telling me about relaxation. So he starts doing this, this like Zen Buddhist type of relaxation chant, speaking very low and deep. And he's like, Dave, I want you to like close your eyes, drop your arms straight down, let, like, like, let your fingers loose, everything's loose, you're sitting on. So he's like, you feel relaxed? I'm like, yeah. I was like, wham, just, just pushes me right <laughs> off the throne. I go flying across the room. These days, that would be a lawsuit yeah. against the school, against Dom, against everyone. I don't think my parents would. But he's like, perfect. I was like, and he's like, if you still were on the throne, you would have resisted, not that you weren't relaxed. So you understand what relaxing, you know. So there we went down the, the amazing journey of, of, of Dom Famularo and that for, for the first time, understanding and learning technique, understanding relaxation, um, get, getting all of that. And it became more than just these drum lessons, you know, it's this spiritual drumming journey that you go on. And, and Tom was also the first guy to let me know, or to, to really make you believe. This is a conversation I had with Joe Bergamini, really, uh, recently. Um, other people at NAMM, when they have like a tribute to him, um, I was talking to Dom's cousin, who was a son who's going to play drums, or well, does play drums. And, and I was telling her, you know, he was the first guy to say, you know, this doesn't have to be like starvation or millionaire. Like you, you can do this and you can have a career and you, you know, you're going to branch out in different directions and you're going to kind of, you know, um, you know, write some stuff and you're going to do that. You know, you know, he just lets you know, like, like what a career looked like. Cause he was not, now at this time he was building his career. Now he was finally traveling and, and had switched over to Tama and he's with, you know, he was like, like going out there and doing it and, and getting to know all the other drummers in, in, in the world doing it. So as Dom was getting busier, um, inspiring, he's like, you, I, we went to one lesson one day and he's like, you are done. I go, I'm done. You know, he's like, done with me. He goes, you're going to go see Jim Chapin, you know? And I knew Jim through Long Island Drum Center. I'd sat here and met him and stuff. And that was a whole other trip, you know? Again, never went through the Jim Chapin book with him. We went through Jim's version since he studied directly with Sanford Augustus Moeller. We learned Moeller the Jim Chapin way, you know? And great exercises, more about playing old music, and, and that also took on a separate friendship. It came me giving him rides. So like a lesson with Jim Chapin, you can go on at 10 o'clock. 
And he could have had a packed schedule, but if he wanted you in that room until 2 in the afternoon, you and Jim were sitting in that room until 2 and 10 and nobody was going to say anything about it, and he'd be talking about the woman wearing the red dress at Birdland or whatever it was, and, <laughs> and these amazing stories. Um, and, and then he'd be like, okay, what are you doing later? I'm like, you know, just have my driver's license, maybe I'm 16, 17, it's like, you're going to drive me to New York City. You know, and, and I like going to the city. And that was the other thing with Dom. So I had these two guys take me into the city to see shows, meeting Elvin Jones. Like everybody knew them, you know, at this point. So it's this, like now on social media, I'll tell students, if you want to take a lesson from, you know, Todd Sutherman or something, it's like, hit him up. You know, I mean, like, like now it's all reachable. But back then it was just like these guys were, were you know, not only teaching me, you know, as far as lessons and technique, they were showing me the world of drumming and how to have a career and meeting other people that had careers. Very influential. I remember, do you know the guy Henry Adler? Yes. So Henry Adler, I remember there's some dinner at Jim Chapin's house and out in the Hamptons. And, and Henry Adler lived and he had a big publishing thing so and, and he lived in New Jersey and you know but far from where the Hamptons is and, and, and he's like okay Dave when we're done this is Tom you're gonna drive Henry home so I hear I have this guy this fascinating businessman telling me you gotta you, you gotta do this the smartest thing I ever did was buy a building in New York City because that doesn't matter anything else at this point in my life doesn't matter I own a building in New York you know, but I'm like listening to these guys who started out with like no budgets or nothing else and and paved their way so it was it was the right place the right time and the luck of whatever you know that I had these guys you know to to, to not only teach me to mentor me to become friends you know I always say that they open doors but that led to, to, to Berkeley. You know, I knew I was going to go there. And I was, I was always playing in bands. But I just, I wanted to go there more than any other. It didn't matter what other schools. It's just like different stuff. Like, like, like it didn't matter where else my parents, who were not musicians, my dad was like, well, maybe she'd apply in Miami and maybe she'd apply. Like, I wanted to go there. When I saw the school, knew I wanted to get it. So I auditioned and, you know, and got a scholarship and went there. And, um and that's a whole other, you know, amazing experience. So for, for me, most of that experience, I've had this conversation with other people very recently because I always have students that are either going there or applying to college or in college. I go, you know, anybody can teach you to circle fit. Any music college is going to teach you, you know, C major chord, if you, or, or if that's what you have to do on piano as a drummer, taking some piano chord. But... But the difference being is the players. And I met people my first day there that I still am friends with and still work with from time to time. Day one, you know, like, hey man, I'm drumming, I'm a bass player. Cool, let's go down the hall and jam, you know, type of thing, so. Biggest thing I got from studying music at the college level was building relationships yeah. and learning the discipline to put the time in to develop the skill sets. Sure. They give you, the environment of which you're forced together in these different ensembles sure. that you now have to figure out, well, first of all, we're all either some case, in some cases at the same level, and in some cases you're at the low man on the totem pole and everyone else has, you know, gone a lot further, but you right. have to find a way to find your place in that. Sure. What, what happens a lot 
is we all grow up in these towns and, and we can be like the best drummer in that town. You're the best drummer in the high school, best drummer in junior high, you know, and you get to a place like that and you're like, boom, friggin', you know, Will Calhoun's living on your, your, your <laughs> hall, smoking your ass, you know, and, and, then, and then you got, you know, this guy Ben Porowski, I remember. So, you know, my way of playing jazz was, you know, I could do the Chapin book. I was always in high school jazz band. I was like in this other state jazz band thing, but now you get there and dudes are swinging. They're 18 and they're playing jazz because they grew up playing this stuff. So part of my experience, a couple couple things that stood out in that experience. One, ear training, okay? Mm-hmm. I remember going in there and cocking me. I remember the teacher, Billy Bermejo, and she's going around, we're singing scales, and it might have been the first class, second class, I'm like, I'm a drummer. She's like, so is my husband. She's like, he can sing this stuff. And it's probably the most valuable class I ever had. You know, you know, you know that that I that I get outside of drumming ensembles and learning all this stuff and playing, but but like as far as a class being a drummer, that I can now look at music and sight sing it, and just somebody can just hand me the same music that a keyboard player, a bass player, a guitarist is going to get, and I can sing the melody and know what the chords sound like. It is invaluable, you know. Um, so to learn that stuff, it's also a time where you you're getting so much theory. I remember having my, even my first semester, having to do arrangements like they, they give you, all right, Dave, you, you're start blue bossa with three horns and this and that. And you're like trying to transpose. And I spit that was time consuming and I sucked at it. But, but, but I did it. You know, you have to stay up page with like, like this, like, like the Oxford things, you know, just, just all. Um, so you're learning that. Um, but it, there's so much all at once, you know, that you you're not even realizing that you're in overload. Yes. You know, you, you, you are completely getting hit at every angle with so much information and there's no way you can absorb all of it. It takes years after you leave. I remember it was the first time in my life where I'd be driving back from Boston to New York in silence, complete silence for four hours. I didn't want to hear me, and I love music, and I, there was so much cool music I was digging and enjoying and learning um, and, and getting turned on to, but 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 so, like I, I remember, like literally I was like halfway home and going, wow, I'm not listening, and I don't want to listen to anything. Like I just need some silence, my brain needs to calm down. Um, so, but but the ensembles, yes, are invaluable because you just play in every genre and prepare you, you know, prepare you for, for, for having a career, whatever a career. We have a different idea back then what our career, you know, we're all going to be next Steve Gabb or, or Picaro or whoever, you know, and have these things. But, but, but overall, it, it, you become this well-rounded musician if you do it right, you know, that doesn't have to say no to a gig because you would be in over your head. Um, and you get the dirty looks, you know, you know, by playing with the people better than you. Like, calm down, kid. I had to hear that a lot, you know. Like, like, um, but another very important thing that happened to me at Berkeley. So I got up there. One of the main reasons why I wanted to study there was through my love of Vinnie Caliuta as well and Steve Smith, and and you know, I knew about Gary Chapin. So I get up there and I'm looking who to sign up with for lessons. And and turns out, and because he was the chair, he left. He left. But he's available to teach at his house. So I had to beg my parents. Luckily, I had a scholarship. So, like, you know, the school isn't super expensive, but I could go to his house at the beginning, like, once a month. 
So on and off in the next couple of years, even when I moved back to New York, I studied with Gary, who was also a very, a, a, a very different type of teacher than anybody, more, way, way more of a mathematical, scientific approach to drumming, and not always the nicest guy. Somewhat, he was the only teacher I ever had that was intimidating. The only thing as close to that movie Whiplash I've ever seen in my yeah. life. And not that, you know, yeah. you know for, forgive me, Gary, for saying it, but but he, he can intimidate you. you know, like where, you know, Dom and Chapin come from love, you know, he's more like, you know, this is how you do it. What's wrong? Ah, just like, like, you know, getting frustrated. Him getting frustrated at you doesn't help the problem when you're trying to figure out how to insert seven notes over three quarter notes and, and then tell you to play it over a samba or something. So, um, but that's, that's my experience with, with, uh, and, with that. And sometimes in those situations, you're there to get the information, but you don't actually absorb the information or get no it till way. much, much later. Like decades, some yes. of it. Literally, literally, you have to really start teaching like, that stuff. Like, it, I think that's what did it. You know, part of it there's the plan, but yeah, you just you 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 I, you can preach that to me all day because looking back, having a rear view mirror, I only grasp. Like, I, I'm I'm sorry, you know, it's like less than one percent. Of, of what I know it to be now, and I teach that stuff so much, you know that that um, it's the same with the molar stuff. I mean, it's just it, from what you get from those first couple lessons, and just even studying for years, it, it continually fine tunes, you know. Well, my experiences with Dom Familiero changed my life in a number oh. of ways. One of them is I went to him to reestablish and redefine my technique. And what I realized during one of my lessons with him is I used to think that I wanted to develop techniques so I could play more complicated things. Right. And then as I started to develop my technique, I realized I didn't want to play more complicated things. I just wanted to play with more relaxation and fluidity so that when I watched the people who were my heroes, I realized it wasn't the things that were playing that inspired me. It was the the flow and the effortless of, of what right. they were playing that I found inspirational. And then sure. once I realized that's really why I wanted to do that, it sort of changes your approach as a student. And one of the things that I often find is that as a student, you have to find the right teacher and you have to put your faith in the teacher. Because yeah. if you have the right teacher, they have a vision for you, but mm -hmm. you may not always know what that is yet but you yeah, have and, and we as teachers have that yes and and and, and you know like your good students are going to have that faith and trust and just know and I, i'll bring up that discussion with them like i i talk about my first lesson with don like it's not what i want to be learning when i was 16 years old i mean i never asked anybody to show me a king crimson song show me that yeah. I, I mean that stuff was just stuff like you know you get your own version of your training and you figure out some 17 16 weird part of the tune I didn't want to learn how to play full stroke when I was 16. I always admit it, but I knew he was onto something. I knew what he was capable of. And that relaxation that a rebound and bounce and just all the stuff just completely made sense. Cause when you're, you know, at any stage, when you first walk into that, it's a different experience than any teaching experience. And, and there's a certain part that kind of the word I was thinking of when, when you just said that is surrender. Yes. You have to surrender yourself and trust it's kind of like a pilot you we all get on flights which is what do we do the pilot's gonna he knows what he's doing he's gonna get us there you know so i i like to say i went to dom to learn technique but what i got from dom was 
a different vision of myself. Great. He saw value in me and he saw capabilities in me that I didn't realize that I had. And he did an exceptionally good job of putting me on paths that I didn't really know that I wanted or that I didn't feel like I deserved. And when he passed, one of the things that I had said was, I always felt like an outsider in this industry. And then I met Dom Family Arrow and he opened the door and he let me in. And then from, and then from there, everything just changed because he saw value in me. And when you get someone who's a mentor that sees value in you, there is no greater motivation tool. And and there is no greater satisfaction about being able to connect with them to share your success of just overcoming that hurdle or moving up to the next step that they they believe and they know you're capable of, but you don't always know that you're capable of it, but you have to do the work. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, And you know what? It's it's the besides the believing yourself and just understanding that you can have a career and that you're not going to starve and just just that you can really you, you know I remember I literally saying the words you can buy a house like you drumming will you'll be able to to buy a house or 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 your cars or pay your bills or do this other stuff and don't worry about this stuff you know um, but but uh, another conversation it's funny you know seeing Joe and um, and, and knowing Joe see Joe was like someone who came in right around that time. So I've known him since we were teenagers. Um, and Don was like the type of guy too, who would just say, all right, you're going to book a, here, here's a school. They have contacted me about a clinic. So they're like, you're going to go do this clinic. What are you going to do? Just, just go do it. <laughs> Come up with a topic and go. And, and, and so here's a bunch of fifth graders. I don't know how to relate to a bunch of fifth graders, Dom. And, and you know, I mean, because eventually, you know, I was teaching, not only did I take lessons, but then I was teaching alongside with him for years. I mean, like, so, so you see him every week and it's just, a, it's, it's this friendship relationship thing. And, and even that is inspiring. Having a sandwich with the guy or eating capers, you know, out of a little jar, you know, it's these, these profound things, which are lessons because I'm sure you experienced lessons where maybe you played a couple of notes or no notes. So yes. the best lesson I ever had, he and I didn't, we, we didn't, I didn't touch a stick. He didn't touch a stick. We talked, you yes. know, and I would be so inspired that something wonderful would happen either later that day or just, just, just like a new row, like, like something would just, just, just take off in my playing because I'd be inspired to, to push myself, you know, you know, that great motivational thing, but, but he'll make you deep down, you know, dig deep down. But like I said, it's, it's, it was also that thing, do it. Like, I'm sure that there's something with you that he told you and you're like, you know what, I'm thinking right now, do it. Yeah. Write an article. You know, like, hey, I got a thing I need you to do. This. And like, no, like, okay, I want you to call Rob Wiles or, or whatever it would be, you know, and just be like, and this is what you can do. And just, and that's it. And that's like all it. And you never said no. You might have been thinking no. Like, but there's no <laughs> yes. saying no to Dom. No. It's like, well, how are you going to see him again if you have to fucking do this thing? You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, how do you go do what Dom told you to go do? And he would be right. There, there was no downside. It was always the right thing to do. When, when I first launched my website a few years ago, one of the things I said I wanted to do was to put a blog up. So I started writing a couple of blog posts and I was originally going to use it as a way just to share some of my experiences about a gig that I went to or 
um, a show that I went to. And then I ended up writing like deeper messages and that wasn't really what I originally intended to do, but then people started to resonate with them. And then every time I'd get it, I'd write one, I would send him the link and he's like, great, send me a PDF version. So I had to send him a hard copy of them. And he, and he told me once he printed out all of my writing and he had a folder in his, in his filing cabinet, in his teaching studio that had my writing in them. And he would, he would give them to students and he'd have students, he would have students that would come in that were struggling with something. He's like, hold on a second. And then he would go in, he would pull out something that I had written and he would give it to them because I would make them read the whole thing. Then we'd have, then we'd have a conversation about it. Or there would be times that he'd, they'd be in his studio and he would bring it up on his computer and he would sit them down on the computer and he would make them read the whole thing. And I thought, well, to me, that's just so surreal because here's this guy that was an industry legend that I had been aware of since I started playing that I now have this personal connection with that is using things that he sees in me that's of value to help motivate and inspire other people. And that is extremely humbling as a student to realize that even though you're studying with a master there's something of value that you have that they want to encourage and and he helped me with so much stuff throughout my career and my life to overcome many of these challenges do you know how many people have careers because of Dom, and it's not necessarily he just said okay help such up and then but but because of little things he did, I mean, one um, one of the tribute things, or or that was online for I believe was sent, but uh, like Chris Stanky from from Sadie yep. talking about, you know, his whole thing and how he, you know, you know Dobbs' relationship with Sabian and Andy and Bob Zildjian and, and Chris, like I didn't even know that. I mean, I, I've known Chris for years, and and, and I'm Sabian. I left Zildjian after 31 years and switched to Sabian, and even though I knew those guys and Dom. It was a conversation I had with Dom many times, you know, about doing that. But I kind of wanted to do things on my own. I felt a little bit of loyalty on how the Zildjian thing happened early, very early in my career. Um, and, you know, but but like like every person that knew it, like you you see all these careers. I, I, I had no idea that's how this thing happened, you know, you know with him and, and, and all these other people. I, I mean, countless people who studied or, or, or mentored by him um, that he helped open doors, you know, going, you know, again, I'll go back to Joe Berg meeting because we've known each other so long um, and talking about the NAMM show. So you, so you see Dom every week and you go to your first NAMM show, you're like 20 years old, 21. And, and you go out there and Dom's like, you're standing there trying to get his attention. And Dom's like, not even looking at you. Yeah. And you're like, and, and, you, and you feel hurt, like insulted, like, Oh my God. And, and finally comes over. He's like, Puts his arm, he's like, Dave, with that soft voice, very like in your ear. He's like, How often do I see you? I go, Two, three times a week. You know, I don't know, I see you at the store all the time. You're like, right. You know how many times I see these people? Once, once a year. He goes, So you're going to go make new friends and you're going to run around and you're going to meet people in the industry. And then, in 20 or 30 years, you're going to be back here and you're going to have one of your students. You're going to tell them, yeah, yeah. And it, it like, boom, that, that, that actually played out. He's like, because now you're, you know, me and you and, and Joe, we're all of the age where here we are. We're that age that he, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we're, we're, we're the ones kind of like, like working with the company or whatever it is. It was like, but, but that's literally, it was almost like this thing. He like literally saw in the future. He was like, go make your own friends. That like, that's what he did. Just go meet people like your own age people and 
you guys will grow up in the industry if you stick around. And he was right. It's kind of crazy. You have gone on to establish a respected career as a drummer and an educator. Thank now, you. I'm sure your original vision and some of your original plans have changed significantly over the years. Of course. So when you look back through your career now, what would you define as success? Being able to buy four brand new tires. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, I'm laughing because it's a conversation. I've got some very good friends. Mike Mallon used to play with the Google Dolls. Rich, Rich Redmond came down here to do a clinic for PAS. And his thing was like, it's funny, we had that conversation in the way from the airport, driving to the hotel down here. And he was like, you know, everyone his was like buying a house or this or that. And I think, you know, to me, though, what, what it really comes down to, it's nothing that you're buying. It's success is the respect of your peers. You know, it's it's not about fame. It's that if you see somebody, they're not looking at you and they're saying, well, I got this gig and you're not really. It, it's, it's nothing about that. And it's not about who's a better drummer because that doesn't exist. You know, we all have our things that we do. Um, it's it's more about about that, that camaraderie, that friendship, that respect um, from peer to peer, um, that you're treated the same as everybody else, regardless if they're on a world tour or whatever. Like, like you've got your niche in this, in this thing that we've all built over the years together. Where we are now, it wasn't where we were 20, 30 years ago. So, of course, this looks different. I, I always talk about the things that, um, like I was doing this whole career during COVID. I started this career as a music masterclass thing. And there were so many things that happened along the path that I never would have envisioned. People I met, like things that happened in my career that they weren't even on radar. I mean, they, they, they were just like, like you know, um, things that happened, but, but they felt right, so I went with them. Or next thing you know, you're just kind of in the middle of it. It's like this little thing that grows and grows and grows. And it could be like, like you know, people who all of a sudden they're an author or they're this and that. Mine, there was a little company, not the company now, but Deidre, the company that makes Nordly. Now, the original one's the Claudia on my Swedish company. You know, that was Jim Chapin at my first NAMM show walking me over to those, those guys and going, two guys from Sweden, Bank and Magnus, and going, uh, another guy, Hans, too. And, and he was more of like the keyboard guy back then. They didn't make keyboards yet, but he was a keyboard player in the company. And he sat me down. He's like, you got to hear him play. He literally just took me over to one of the electronic kids, like, you got to hear him play. The guys were like, you sound great. Come back to the booth anytime you want. On the last day, he gave me his card, took my number, said, give him a call in a couple of weeks. I waited a couple of weeks. I gave him a call. Said, well, where are U.S. offices in... Um, Stratford, Connecticut. You know, why don't you come up here next week? How's next Tuesday or something? I get my car, I go up there. I'm leaving like with like ten thousand dollars worth of electronic gear, like ten thousand dollars worth of electronic gear in like nineteen eighty nine dollars, you know, or something. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know. Um, and they're like, "What we want you to do? You play these wonderfully." Now I don't, I, I don't know that much about electronics. We want you to do some clinics. So we're going to set up a clinic at SIR. So you show up to SIR. And there's like Terry Bozio and Chad Wack and all these other people that you're doing this thing or Manny's music putting on a putting on a big thing in New York City. And then it was like, still with that same company, it was like, hey, 
could you call back Kenny Aronoff because he's got one of these and we sent him the new triggering brand and he's cutting a new record and he's he doesn't know they're not like so next thing you know now you're talking to Kenny Aronoff and you're trying to you know you know troubleshoot this stuff over the phone then they're like hey you you're know, this like I ended up helping them sign like now I'm like push as a clinician pushing or pushed over to setting up endorsements with Jonathan Moffat, Joe Franco, like all these different people. Then I'm out doing clinics with Jonathan Moffat. You know, so it's like, well, we're going to get him drums. You're going to go out to Irvine, California. And my, like, he's playing with either Madonna. I think he was doing the Madonna tour back then. And now you're in his garage building his monstrous D-drum kit with him and then going to musician. So did I see stuff like that happening? No. Dave Weber, who I know, same thing, going to his house, walking, you know, hey, man, go, go, go back in there, jump on the kit. You're like, it's just me, <laughs> like, you want me to go on the kit? Yeah. yeah. And put the put the cans on. Okay. Yeah, play something. Fuck, what are you going to play? Son? Like, <laughs> like, what are you going to play today? You know, and, 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 you know, doing a clinic and he's standing like 10 feet away and like, hey, man, and then we're just sitting there and at the after hang, he's just asking you about D drums and stuff and who'd you study, you know, you know and, and Again, none of this stuff was on my radar. None of it. And that opened up so many doors, literally because a teacher of mine took me over and said, you got to hear this kid play. And, and that's what I do for students. And I'm sure you do it. You know? it. It's not just that. The other thing I want to comment on, too, is that Jim Chapin took you over, gave, them, gave you that yeah. introduction. Yeah. You developed a relationship with these people, and right. they asked you to call them in two weeks. Mm -hmm. and you called them. That's right. the problem, is that many people wouldn't make the call. You're right. You're they right. would build the relationship, but they wouldn't make the call. I uh, see, but I was I was excited. I, I was just like, is today a good day to call? I, I probably spoke to yeah. Dom about it. Like, yeah. how, what, what day should I call? Like, well, what's two weeks from that day? No. Wait, two weeks from one day, Dave. Now, like, probably just making it up, riffing on it. Wait, it was a Sunday, I left, so call not Monday. Or whatever it was, because I'd asked Dom about it. You know, I mean, he's still somebody I was teaching alongside with by that point. I was in New York and, you know, Dom Berkeley and back. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, so. Like I said, that stuff, um, just just getting into that and getting into the business side of it, and that just and doing that whole thing led to other stuff, and then moving into like a like moving my practice into New York City into a into a studio that one of my friends opened up a big recording studio, and I had all these private rooms. That I'm so now I'm moving into a room with like Joe Franco and Jonathan Mover. We're all going to share a room, and then near Z who played on the first, you know, and he was like one of the biggest session players in Nashville. Yes. But back then, he's got, like, he's an Israeli kid with, like, blonde, bleach blonde, spiked hair, playing with alternative bands, and next thing you know, is with John Mayer. So it became, like, the studio also became this drumming hang. And, you know, that, it, it was just like, hey, well, I can't do this. Hey, call this guy. You know, it was just, it, it was like this other little thing that just took off. And, you know, um, one thing just kept leading to another and leading to another and leading to another. You know, it's the same with like, like Zildjian or something like that. Or get like, I, I once had to finally ask, like, how'd you guys even hear? Like, there was no internet. There was not like, let me see. How, I don't have that many followers. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, you know, but it was like, like, I literally had to ask the guy, John, like, how'd you guys find out? He's like, well, people will give me an name. He goes, you know, Dave Weckle gave us your name. Yeah, and it's before I was like, like that. Whole, like I knew him. Like, like so there, there were there were people do good things, and that's kind of what we do, and we have to do for them because we, we, you know, we don't do all this. I, I think Dom instilled in us 
this sense of community, that it all works best when we're all kind of helping each other. Nobody ever just takes a phone call and goes, no, man, I wish I could. I'm busy that day and it hangs up. It's always like, you know who, man? You got to call Michael or call this guy or you know who would be even better than that, man? is just Jim Toscano because I don't know shit about this yes. technology stuff. I'm barely, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out my newer camera. Yeah, you know, whatever it is, but like, like, that's that's how it all works, you know. And same thing, like even Jim getting a you know relationship with Weckland and, and getting you know all, all this other stuff. So, um, you know, and then and then Dave will give recommendations about him. It's just all and Don recommended all of us for everything, you know. So yeah. um, it's it's all the power of community and building genuine relationships. Yeah, yeah. So so this can you know back to your original does this look anything like it? No, but I I wouldn't change a thing. It's pretty cool. Like I got to do some 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 cool stuff, and I, you know, I'm still doing some 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 cool stuff. Um, COVID flipped the world of teaching upside down for me. So you know, I mean, um, so it's it's a uh, you know it, it it it'll continue to to grow in its own way. You know. Seeing the tribute or being at the tribute for Dom, there will definitely be more things. That's just a damn thing. I think there are so many of us that have this torch that he passed on that that we will carry to our students and to uh, to others in this industry. Well, when we lost Dom last year, I put a tribute episode together of my podcast, of which yeah. you were part of. Sure. And I remember originally reaching out to people because I wanted to get some stories and things from different sure. people in the industry so I could share them with Dom. And that was the plan. And then unfortunately, we lost him sooner than expected. Yeah. And then I thought, well, what am I supposed to do? I have all of these things that people have shared, but I don't want to use them without their encouragement. So then I'm contacting people and I'm putting everything together and I'm making calls and I'm sending up emails and messages and everyone told me to go ahead and do this. And then after I was all done, I looked at the names and I looked at the people that were involved in this and I suddenly realized there are so many people, we're all part of the same community and there are mm -hmm. some industry legends who I have no relationship with at all, sure. but I just, I just reached out to them because I wanted to celebrate this person who we all has changed our lives. Yeah. And, and I was blown away by the response. And then I've suddenly realized I'm, I'm texting my heroes on the day that Dom passed to get permission to use their story for these episodes. And I suddenly right. thought, man, has my life ever changed since I met Dom Familiero? Yeah, because yeah. I'm texting people who are heroes of mine that I've developed relationships with because of Dom, and I've developed these friendships, which has opened up so many different doors, and is at this stage of my life has given me the confidence to sort of start to pursue things that I never had the confidence to pursue when yeah. I was just out of college. And in a lot of ways, I wish I could kind of go back and redo some of these experiences, but I wouldn't change anything no definitely not definitely not you know and and yeah i mean that the, the the reach that he had but like you said that you know the, the the word there is community and kind of like I, I brought up earlier it's just that we um we all kind of have i'll say this i'll rephrase what i was going to say everybody that man ever met i have people that i know who met him one time like I played this band in New York and the bass player, somehow he was given Dom, Dom was too busy to do anything with a band in New York. So he gave this guy, Kevin Hawkins, my name. And, and Kevin's like, hey man, I got your name from, from um, 
we're about family honor, you know, and, and like I have this band and we're doing this, we're about to record and we're about like, and that led, I mean, to like all, but, but it, it's like, he only met Dom one time, you know, and Dom gave him a card and then like he called Dom, thinking Dom's going to be his drummer and he was just like too busy and then and somebody would call Dom, I guess I, I'll, I'll be Dom's reject, you know, or yeah. whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, you know, the second, the second call after him. Um, but that was a really cool that like a Dina Mazzell who went on to do Rent and was you know Wicked and all like she was in that it was like a really cool different kind of project that this big seven eight piece band you know and stuff like that and then then Don would come out and watch us play you know like when like when he was in town in, in New York City but um, yeah it, it's it, it, like kind of the community like you said all these people that were heroes. Nobody's judging anybody. We're all equal, and you know, I mean, just shut. That's that's the cool thing about this community. No one's looking at us and comparing. Well, that's Gad and you're because because I, I always joke around and like you know if it's something with endorsement like I know him that Steve Gad so like like it's okay if I get a bass from you know like yeah. like like but <laughs> and to them they was like dude you're you're good man if you're part of this you're part of this so. Um, you know, and that that's community part. You know. Also speaking along the lines of community, you're actively involved as a board member for the Percussion Arts Society. How did yes. you get involved in that? And kind of what are what's some of your responsibilities? Well, it cost me a couple grand to uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so I I knew a lot of people who were involved. I was always going to 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 basics on and off, depending on my own schedule. Some years I have gigs, but then I started really seeing the importance to to go because of was a great hang and like Nam, it was different always because it was something where I could see my drum buddies exclusively like once a year and we could hang and see clinics and just so I wasn't involved yet but just leaving going at this later and I figured as an educator I need to get involved um, and then uh, 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 what turned out to be a very good friend now is uh, Eric Hughes. Eric Hughes reached out to me once and he was the chair of the drum set committee and he was like hey man um, I'm not sure if you'd be interested, but we're going to be opening up panels. And it wasn't like, you know, you still had to kind of put the thing and it goes before a committee and it goes to a board of advisors and all this other stuff. But he, he had a vision of, he wanted people who were educators, but also gigging and just, you know, could write and just, you know, write articles because there are certain things like, you know, you've got to keep that thing going. You know, I know from, from, different things I've done in the past, a lot of people will say, yeah, man, I got to write an article, you know? And then a year later, you're like, hey, man, you know, we could really use that. We've got another issue coming out. We've had four, and we need material. Yeah, 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 I just got to make some. We'll edit it for you, man. Let's get that. So, you know, you get that, and that's the opposite of Dom, because Dom's just like, do it! Yeah. <laughs> you yes. let Dom down. Like, did you, you know, there was no more second of Dom did you ever do that article? Like you just, you know, you, a couple months later, Dom, like, oh, here's a good article. And you, know, you, you get a text, great article. Yeah. You know, in the PAS rhythm thing. Yeah. You know, so, so that's how, you know, through that, I got onto drum set committee. Um, I was on there for a few years. Then I moved over to the education committee because it was mostly academic and orchestral and symphonic and no real drum set rep representation. So I did that for a couple of years wasn't getting all that, you know, um, headway. I mean, it's still a very different committee. And so I just felt 
and, and other people felt it was best to like let's keep them kind of like let them do their thing they've still got drum set stuff but we're here and we'll co-work with them because I bridged the gap I was the person put in the middle so when they started doing drum set training things it was like okay Dave's going over to education committee but you're going to be in charge of all those lesson things you got to come material you got to do that one we're going to teach and then people can teach marimba, we're gonna do drum set, and I had a bridging, so I was like right in the middle, floating back. And that's too much, it ends up becoming too much when you're doing, you know. So doing that, and then down here in Florida, the Florida chapter, they were coming up, and somebody was like, nominated me to be chapter president. I didn't like do it like, like because I guess it was going on and not much was happening, and, and it was the same thing during COVID. And I was like, okay, I mean, I didn't have to do, but I said, okay, so I was nominated and, you know, got an email after whatever they did, people vote, and I guess I live in Florida, I became, so I'm involved, as a matter of fact, I have another clinic that I'm going to be doing with Dave Elick and Kevin Murphy and stuff, so I'm still more of a drum set guy, I just, I, I like I admitted to myself years ago, even at school, like in element, yeah, like I'm not a timpani, I'm nothing wrong, I'm not a mallet player, I'm not, I know my strong points in life and there are other people better than that. Just like I'm not a sound engineer, there are other people better than that. I can get away with certain things, but if you really need me to mix and master stuff, uh, I want the guy that's been studying as long as we have mixing and master, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, like he's, like, we'll, we'll do this really good play the drum thing and, and they do that. So running, r- running that stuff, um, it's been an amazing experience. I highly recommend that any drummer who's taken the time to listen to this or percussionist to get involved with PAS, volunteer on the committees. There's health committees. There's so many different, it's not just drum set stuff, but um, part of it goes into the planning and pacing. Nothing bad. There is no downside to it. Zero. You will make some great industry friends. And, and you sit in these meetings with the the heads of companies and you know heads of artist relations and 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 they want to hear what you have to say you know and I'm I'm, I'm working on trying to get some younger I, I see some other voices that need to be represented you know as well so it's something that um, I'm really there are no downsides that none you know it, it's work you definitely can take up some time not a lot of time but uh, like I said for anybody listening if you want to meet some industry people. Get involved with PAS, and trust me, you will. You will be having conversations with them. When you are looking back at the things that you have done over your career and a lot Mm -hmm. of the hurdles that you've overcome, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? And I'm not talking about specific technical drum lessons, but just kind of life lessons in terms of navigating a career. Yeah, don't go when you're 21 and drink all the beer when your famous friends agree with that. That's, no, but um, I would say that, that that's actually a great question. You know, there were a lot of life lessons. And one thing I learned early on, and I can say this, is, is building those relationships, you know, and then learning who the time wasters are. And not, I'm not saying they're bad people or that you just blow. There are some people who will cause chaos in your life. And it took me a while to learn how to separate being friendly with people and who your friends are. There's a big difference you know, in this industry. Um, you know, also that it's much smaller than people think. And your reputation is everything. So, you know, I, I, I watch people who are brilliant musicians and not just drummers I'm talking about, but people who are brilliant musicians who have sabotaged their entire careers 
because they talk crap about everybody. And sometimes, you know, that it's like nobody wants to work with the people who are always negative. So they ruin their entire careers and they're these disgruntled people. And when you learn from somebody like Dom or Jim, these people with passion from an early age who, who are positive. Trust me, they had people they had to walk away from. I know people specifically they had to walk away from in their life that were just bad for them for, for them or or um and you know that's a really important lesson to learn, you know, you know, to we have a limited amount of time, limited amount of time in our days, our weeks, our months, and our life, you know. So how are we going to use that time? You know? And that's what I had to learn how to regulate. You know, I, I have no regrets. I think things played out. I'm never going to look back and go, you know, there was that audition that I should have gone. Like there, there's no specific things like that. But it's it's learning how to navigate relationships. Going back to the word reputation, we can work as hard as we want on our reputation. We can paint whatever picture we want. I can try to say any kind of bullshit to get you to try to believe that, like this version of me, I want you and everyone else to think I am. But others get to decide your reputation. You don't get to decide your reputation. I get to decide your reputation. The dog that everybody does, same with me, same with everyone. Others decide that. So when you realize your reputation and, and the value in that, that that it comes, you know, um, that was a learning curve because you know I didn't always do anything. I can get hot-headed when I was younger and stuff. So so I've I've learned to be a bit more gentle and kind, and I'm always trying to be funny and you know you know in um, a way that Dom was, you know, you know, there's you know, humor goes a long way in breaking the ice with a lot of things. But you know, the the only things that that in looking back is. There are probably things we all have that we look back at that maybe we sat on them too long. Maybe we thought something was going to happen there and there, there would be this growth and it plateaued. So sometimes, and, and for some people that's okay. If something is steady and it, maybe it's an income thing that's good for you, that's okay. But we're musicians and we like growth and we like to keep moving forward. I'm not the same player. I am five years, 10 years, or 20 years, and neither are you. You know, we're, yes. we're, we're, we're different players, we're more mature, we listen to, we, we know how to adapt to a musical solution, we, we know how to make people happy on stage. We also know how to teach better, you know? Yes, absolutely. I, I, teach, I teach so differently. There are students, so here, here's how I'll end that question. I teach very differently now. I almost wish I could go back to my students from 30, 35 years ago and say, you know what, I told you about how high you should sit. Hold on, I was wrong. Like, 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 because we learn. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's part of it is that, you know, I, I've changed, you know, how I approach students, how I approach their lessons. If someone's not getting something, I'm not going to harp on it because I figure there's a billion things they can learn. Why are we going to sit here and harp on this one? Unless it's crucial for them to do it. But if they're still not getting it, we're hitting a roadblock and we've tried 17 different, let's move on. We'll come back to it. Time time, time will allow us to come back to something. It's a, it's a, it's a just a different way of, of, of teaching and a path. Of, like No one's sitting there stuck on one Wilcox and Pete. If they're not getting it now, you know, Depending if they need it for an addition, that there's different. But if it's just, you know, I, I, I've learned to to say, well, let, let's invest our time here because I have to know what they want out of this. So yeah. teaching changes, you know. When you're trying to teach a certain lesson, reintroducing it at the time that the student needs it 
can often be much more effective than trying to follow a standard curriculum of which you always generally go through. Because there's been many times in my situations as a, as a teacher where, like I said, the student just was not interested in learning that specific thing. Mm-hmm. Then they run into a challenge, say two or three months later, about something they really want to do. Yeah. Then I will reintroduce a new concept, or I'll introduce mm-hmm. a new concept, which happens to be the concept I tried to show them three months before. Sure. But now they're ready for it. Yeah. And, um, and so you have to adapt to really give them the information that you know that they need, yeah. but at the time that they need it and that they're ready for it. And that can be sometimes a challenge. And that's something as a teacher that you learn over the years. I'm a much better teacher now that I have learned to be a better student. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because this is passion. You know, once you, once you, you know, cross that line and you realize that you are a perpetual student in life and that you will constantly grow, the things that both Dom and Jim Chapin said to me was the best that you will ever play will be the last time you ever play because it will be a culmination of all your life experiences and it will not necessarily be the fastest. It will just be all maturity. So if I live to be 70 or 80 or 90, if on the, the day before I pass away, if I'm sitting behind my drum kit and playing at 90 years of age, that will be the best I ever play because it'll just be all my life experience from from the little kid who picked up sticks when he's six, seven years old. You know, so I think that's an incredibly profound statement, and I think it is um, truly essential that we always realize that we're never done until we're done. Sure. So, Dave, for people that want to learn more about you or to mm-hmm. get in touch with you, sure. um, what's the best way to connect? Um, Facebook or Instagram. I mean, I got my webpage. A lot of people, you know, find my website or, or, you know, just, but I think they find more people find it because it's on my social media pages, but hit me up on messenger, leave a comment because if you're not a friend of mine on there and it gets into one of those weird blocking things on messenger or something, you know, leave a comment. I have enough public posts, leave a comment and say, Hey man, I sent you a message. I'll go find it. And, um, but, but between or just leave a comment, you know, Instagram as well. Those are the things. I, I check the most or use the most um, and I will always get back to somebody. That's one thing also is like you always get back to somebody. No matter you never ever just leave somebody hanging. You know, so and no matter how no matter how busy you are, even if it's like, hey, I'm on my way out to a gig, hit me up with a reminder, I'll be home around tomorrow at 10. I got a nice break in my schedule and we'll, I will chat for a bit. You know, and and you know, I mean it just it's not also about reaching out to, to to take lessons. If you've got a question about anything, you know, if you're thinking about career or whatever, or just, you know, um, that's what we all do. You know, there's plenty of people that I, I, I chat with who have never taken a lesson with me, who who it's not about lessons. It's about looking for a little little steering of a direction. Sometimes it might just be like, hey, who's a good person that teaches in such and such area or, um, or or whatever. So but that's the best way to find me. And I've been aware of you through the Sabian Education Network, and mm-hmm. that's how I sort of started to follow a lot of your career. Sure. And that's how we originally sort of connected, although we've never right. met in person. Sure. But right. that to me, that's one of the real values that social media can oh, have absolutely. in terms of breaking down the doors, giving the opportunity to connect with people who are kind of on similar journeys to share that information. And that's one of the things that makes the drumming community such a magical, inspirational place. Sure. And it's different no matter, I mean, 
I, I learned early on in real life and then on social media life that there's nothing like the camaraderie of drummers. You you don't get that same sharing with between guitarists and bass players. And I'm not saying that they're not friendly. They don't. A lot of them are friendly with each other, and there will even be some guitar clinics, and you can obviously see Steve, somebody like Steve Vai going out, doing a bunch of guitar. But this is like this big, huge global thing that we all, you know, support. One you know, it's just it's an amazing and same thing like Sen. We're all in this. The, nobody is really running the show. It was like created, and you've got Joe obviously doing it and that scheduling, and then all these things take on a life of their own. You know, and we get to connect with these best, you know, the, the, the best of the best. And they're involved in education because they were students and they're still, anyone's that good. Steve Gaddis is still a student. You know, he, he, he wants to get better too. And, and we have to remind ourselves of that. Well, and that's one of the things that I've learned is that my heroes are not done. They're constantly no. striving to be better. And we have this passion just to kind of share the successes and share the information. And I sure. find a great teacher is going to be the person that is the most happy when you achieve those results. And so sure. sometimes even when you're struggling, they, they really see the value in what you're doing. And it's, yeah. just, it's, it's just inspirational just to keep on learning. Sure, and, and you know what? The thing is, you see these people, and you see like the David Garibaldi's and all these high-level people, and, and and so much, so many of them are willing to give their advice and opinion for free, for nothing. Yep. Now, I'm not saying they don't teach it; doesn't cost money. If you want to go take a lesson, but they're here to inspire you and 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 give you direction. If you're paying attention, you can get some some great advice and career about your plan, about other stuff. You know, not everybody sees this all as this money-making scheme. You know, like like oh, if you want to hit me up for a lesson for hundred bucks an hour, yeah, it's it's like it's not all about that. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we all share. You know, um, with one another. Um, and if you're paying attention, that's why if you get involved, anyone listening, same thing. You know, if you're educated, get involved with said You don't have to be a saving art. You know, you know, just, just, it's there. I remember asking Joe when I was still in Zildjian, I'm like, and starting end up, I'm like, am I allowed on here? Because, you know, and, and uh, it was like, for anybody, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was like, all right, I don't want to get any more trouble, you know, type of, even though I've known Andy for, for, for years. And, uh, but, but it was just like, um, and it's 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 the same with PASIC and you know, if you get involved, there's their percussion marketing council, also made up of people within the industry, which is a great source of you know, sitting down again with CEOs, you know, the head of Roland, you know, and giving out an award, you know, to to, to whoever, you know, I'm talking like the head of Roland, you know, you know, and and, and you can get involved with this stuff. And and it doesn't cost you anything. It's not like for five thousand dollars you can come. No, no, you can. They, 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 you know, you've got a voice. Sit at the table. Let's hear what you got to say. What you've got to offer. So, yeah. and I think that's essential because we all have something to offer, and we yeah. all need to not be afraid to speak our voice and to share our knowledge and experiences. Yeah, and, and, and I and I and I encourage the younger people listening. You know, I mean, this this is twenty four year old that I know female. I'm like, who's just bright and gets us and always has asked like these industry questions. She knew Dom, and she came to the little tribute with her mom, and I know the family, and and and. 
you know, I was like, you got to get involved. I'm like, come, go to this thing. We're going to do PCO now. Get, and I'm same thing. I'm like, get involved with PCO. All the stuff Dom used to do, you know, you know, with me. It doesn't when when you see somebody who wants to do this, you just tell them. And, and, and I'll always say, it's not like, hey, you got to do this or that. It just you just got to show up. And, and and these are the voices. Like you don't need to hear from a guy like me forever and ever and ever. I got to hear from. I got to hear from a 24 year old voice. Besides, in a lesson, I'd be like, do this, do this. Of course, there are lessons we talk and we, I can have the lessons where I, we, I inspire and talk, but, um, but different from that business head, lets them see how it all works and who knows what relationship you'll make from something like that. If Greg Crane at Yamaha Drums started out at Guitar Center selling drumsticks and drum heads and some drums and stuff and is head of drum artist relations for Yamaha Drums, there's a path. That's why I had him on my careers. You know what I'm saying? It's just like yeah. so, something happened along the way. It's nobody just said, "Hey, you want to be honest with relation?" You know, there's 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 people involved. There's things involved. So, Dave, it was an absolute pleasure to actually get a chance to have these conversations finally oh, thank you. in uh, in in this environment. And I wish you nothing but the best of success for 2024. And I know that we're going to get the opportunity to connect again. Absolutely. Thank you so very much for, for having me. And I will add that I, I think the reason why we're here and we're having this conversation or had this wonderful conversation and great questions and great discussion is because of Don Fabulero. He made us all come together this way, you know, so that, you know, um, respect to him. But thank you again for having me. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. been listening to the drummer's pathway podcast please share and subscribe get the word out and let's keep the discussion going thanks for listening and i'll see you next time